Fifteen years ago, almost to the day, I remember the day that a baby changed everything. There was a picture of a young dad sitting in a chair, and I always always remember the moment as I'm holding my firstborn son. And there's just this feeling of exhaustion. Now, I I hate to say exhaustion because there's my sweet wife, you know. I mean, (laughs) after everything she's gone through, it's uh, kind of condescending, isn't it? Um, But I just remember that, that all that we had been through and how quickly he had come and how quickly life had changed. And I'm sitting in this chair exhausted, my wife next to me. I'm holding my son. His head against my chest. And uh, much like the song that we sang right before the lesson, I'm simply thinking, who are you? What has God made you to be? How has God gifted you? How am I to steward you as my son? What child is this? A baby, you see, changes everything. That's true in my life. It's true in your lives. You know, if you've got children of your own, grandchildren maybe, perhaps, as you watch young parents as the first time they bring a child into the world and they're excited and they have big ideas of of parenting and they're reading all the books and then the child comes into the world and throws all of that to to the garbage bin. You just... All of those ideas just fall to the wayside as they begin to learn that children don't come with instructions. Going to see new parents and they have that very newborn and they're still in the stage of sleeping very soundly and making very little noise. And they're like, oh, parenting is it's really not that hard, you know. And all parents are thinking, just wait, it's coming. <laughs> A baby changes everything. It's true in my life, true in your life. But it's true in all of our lives. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was a, a baby that changed everything because he was no ordinary child, you see. As we're thinking about this child that changed everything. And, of course, the story of Jesus is not centered around the babe. The babe is just the beginning of what we call the incarnation, the point where spirit became flesh, where God stepped into our world. So so let me ask you just a, a rhetorical question. You might say, well, what's a rhetorical question? And the question is this. How would you describe God? In Psalm chapter 19, the scriptures tell us something very interesting, that though we cannot see God, that the world screams out God. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. If you're following along in scriptures, page 578 in the Pew Bible. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. In the moment of creation, have you experienced a glimpse of the creator I can remember on a dark night out in Mullenville, Kansas, standing in an empty field long before there were lots of windmills out there, and, 
and, and it was completely dark. And as you looked up into the sky, what you could see was the Milky Way galaxy. As you, as you stared into the Milky Way galaxy, you could see, you could get a glimpse, not of the Creator, but just of the creation. And when you marveled at creation, you thought, oh, oh, if He can do that, if He can speak all of that in a moment, what must He be like? Or, or maybe you've experienced when you've, when you've gone in, in August and you go up that big hike and you spend several hours trudging up the path and wondering if you're going to make it and praying to God and asking your friends why you did this and until finally you get to the very top of, of the big hike and, and in a moment that your mothers w- would just, um, their hearts would just race knowing you were up there, but you get on the rocks. How many of you have been on the rocks at the very top of the mountain? And you, and you stare and you just look around and you think, and that's not even the highest peak. I mean, that's just, that's just uh, the hem of the garment, Colorado-wise. But just to, I remember sitting on the edge of the rock and thinking, gosh, if he can do that in just a moment, what must he be like? Or perhaps standing at the edge of the ocean uh, for, for people in Kansas who aren't used to oceans, uh, oceans are a special place. Uh, you remember your first time going to the ocean? You probably do if you were born and raised around these parts. You, you remember standing with your toes in the sand as the, as the waters lap up at your feet and just looking out on the horizon that seems to go on forever and the might and the power and the smallness that you feel of yourself and you think, if he can do that in just a moment, what must he be like? Or on the... Spring evening in Kansas as tornado sirens blare. Maybe you're, you're, you know, a native Kansan. So that means when the storms start coming out, you don't go to safety. You go out and try to watch, try to get a closer look. Because, because when you see the storm and you feel the power and the wind and the rain and the, and the lightning and the thunder and, and, and you just, you're just encompassed in that and you think if he could do that in a moment in a storm that's here and gone. If he can in a storm in a moment wipe out entire towns, what must he be like? What does all creation yell and scream, as Psalm 19 would say? What does all creation say of the Creator? It says this, that he's strong, he's powerful, he's mighty, he's infinite, he's without end, he's beyond understanding. And here's the irony. Isaiah said that when he came to visit us, he would be like that. If you're following along in the scriptures, I hope that you are, to go to Isaiah chapter 9, page 735 in the Pew Bible. The prophet Isaiah, the messianic prophet, the one speaking of the one to come, prophet speaking about the prophet who would surpass all prophets and would be the answer to all prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9 Page 735, he said this of the coming one. He said, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and catch this, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
Did you catch this? Mighty God. The mightiness is all of those moments you felt in a storm or at the edge of the ocean or on the mountaintop or, or staring into the depths of the unsearchable galaxy. The mightiness of God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. But, the, but this, did you catch what Isaiah said? It, right after he said, Mighty God, the, the, the the phrase that preceded it was, for unto us a child is born. We have juxtaposed these very two conflicting images. Mightiness, infinite power, strength, and a little child, a babe, a tiny baby. I don't know if you've held any tiny babies lately. But if you haven't, take yourself back to when you last did. And you're holding this tiny baby in your arms. And it is, he or she is so weak, so fragile. Aya, bring, Aya, 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 Aya. Oh, the preacher's calling you out. Perfect timing. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Bring little Albert here. Bring little Albert here. Perfect. She's like, oh, leave it to me to get up during the sermon. Can I hold little Albert? She's like... At your own risk. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to sit down for the rest of the sermon. Look at this. Little Albert. What child is this? Yeah, that's perfect. Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite, mighty God, creator, stepped into our world like this. This is the beauty of the incarnation. That God stepped into our world as us. He came not just as us, He came for us. As Paul said this morning, doing that which we could never have done ourselves. Do you understand the irony that this small, independent, a small, dependent, fragile child. The mother's over there going, please don't drop my child, please. He'll, he'll never stop crying then. He came into our world. He was entrusted to a young couple. A young, poor couple. Here you go. I, sorry, I can't do this the rest of the time, you know. Thank you. He was entrusted to a young, poor, unknown couple. Who knew nothing. The scriptures say that there was a time that they took the child Jesus to the temple and they lost him. Can you imagine losing? I mean, not just losing your child. We've, that's traumatic enough. But imagine knowing what they knew about Jesus. I mean, they told, they heard the angel say, this child is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all of a sudden they look around and God ain't with us anymore. Who, you lost him? I thought you had the son of God. Where is he? Ah! I mean, talk about pressure. He entrusted himself to these parents. The beauty of the incarnation is that mighty God entered our world as a tiny baby. I love this, what author Max Lucado wrote about this moment when he said this, God entered the world as a baby. Yet there were someone, were someone to chance upon the steep shable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning. What a peculiar scene they would have beheld. The stable stinks, as all stables do. The stench of urine and dung and sheep makes pun reeks pungently in the air. 
The ground is hard, the the hay is scarce, cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and the mouse scurries across the floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently at the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear him. And so on this cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds. Near the young mother sits a weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of this stable and he feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it out. The mystery of the event still puzzles him, but he has the, hasn't the energy to wrestle with all the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe, and as sleep comes, he remembers the, the name that the angel told him to use, and in a voice firm but soft says, we will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head, his, her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle, The pain has been eclipsed by the wonder. She looks into the face of her baby, her son, her Lord, her majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands God and what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows that she is holding God, and so this is he. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He looks anything like, a, but, like anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless, piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon his mother for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of mundane. Holiness in the filth and sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. This baby overlooked the universe, the rags keeping him warm with the robes of eternity. His golden throne had been abandoned in the favor of a dirty sheep pen, and worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. She touches the infant, the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? Indeed, how long was that journey? The scripture tells it even better than Max could. He writes, the good doctor writes, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is page 1099, if you're following along. Luke 2, 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she wrapped her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him. Mighty God, promised for centuries, the fulfillment of all of the pages and promises of Scripture was literally born in a barn. Your parents ever use that phrase when you leave the door open? What is it with the deal with not being able to open and close doors? Is that that just a thing? Is there just part of your brain that hasn't developed with that yet? I I don't know exactly, but we we use that phrase, are you born in a barn? Jesus could literally answer that question. Yes, my child. Yes. The almighty infinite God born in a barn for us. Nothing on earth was ready for his arrival. Maybe not even his parents. On that 
unremarkable night, something, however, quite remarkable happened. The apostle, or the, uh, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You think about that, the word. You see, the word came, I mean, they didn't even have pages, right? They heard it from prophets. They had it written on a scroll. They had it read to them. They had it recounted to them. They were told the story again and again and again of what God had done. But now, the words, the promises, the pages of all scripture dwelt with us. Not a book, not a scroll, but the author himself dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The word heartbeat. The word had fingerprints. The word, do you ever think about this? That Jesus had a voice. It sounded in a certain way. For those of you who've lost someone this past year, this can be an especially difficult time. And maybe you're blessed to have a video of that person or a recording and you hear their voice. And, and, And their voice is unlike anyone else's voices on earth. And, and it's striking to me that the Son of God had a voice. Not a voice that was mighty and powerful and from the mountain, but a, vo- a vo- human voice vibrating human vocal cords that, that sounded a certain way. Jesus had eye color. He was a certain height. He was a certain weight. He walked. He had all of the things that come with being human. Jesus laughed. Jesus had sorrow. Jesus was in pain. Jesus got frustrated. Jesus got angry. Jesus had stress. The almighty infinite God became all together human. C.S. Lewis wrote that he was the first full human being ever created, ever made. Jesus had intellect and wisdom and wit and humor. These are two words that don't go together. God and us. God and us. You see, God is spirit. You and I are flesh. God is perfect, but we are sinful. God is holy, but we are human. God is almighty and powerful, but we are altogether weak. You see, God is bringing the holy and the human together in the incarnation. God has come closer now than ever before. You see, from the moment of Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, at the very early part of the story, there's a a separation. There's a, a separation, a distance between God and us. And this this gap was not just one of them leaving the garden. This eternal gap was one having left the presence of God. And the story of the Bible is not us pulling our way, grasping our way, reaching out for God. No, the story of God is exactly the opposite. The story of God is moving closer to us by coming down, by descending, the scripture says, onto the mountain as the law is given. By coming into the presence of the people in the tabernacle and the temple, the presence of God dwelling with. But remember, there was all of these separations between they and God. In fact, there was one part of the temple, the place where God dwelt, called the, if you remember it, the Holy of Holies. 
And not just anyone could go in there. And the one guy who went in there only went in there one time a year. Because if he didn't go in there with ultimate reverence, he would be wiped out and killed from the wrath and the holiness and the perfection of Almighty God. And so God was with them, but God was still separate from them. And now, and now as God steps into human form, as Mary's holding this child, and we watch him go from babe to child, infant to, to man, we see the story of God being closer now than he's ever been before. Close enough to touch, to listen to, to see, to hear, to laugh with, to cry with, and ultimately to live with and to walk with and to watch live, and of all things, to see die. And not understand why, but knowing that he promised that he would, and that he would raise again three days later. You see, God was separate, but he had come Close in the flesh. And he is close again. You see at long last. God is no longer distant. God God is no longer distant. If you ever wished. Have you ever had a time in your life. When you wished that God would just show himself. God if you just show me the way. If you just. And I wish I wish I could. I wish God could just be here. I know that that's not possible. But I wish he could just be here. So he could give me the answers. So he could give me some direction. So he could give me some wisdom. And see with Jesus. God is with us. He's with us. As Matthew says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. If you're following along. This is uh, page 1035. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, page 1137. No one, John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus shows us that not only is God with us, that God is for us. He, you see, came close so that you could draw near to him. There was a reason that God became flesh. He came to be near you, to sit right near you. He came to be in our world and sit with us and sit right next to us. Kneecap to kneecap. Eyeball to eyeball. To be with us so that you might know that he is for you. The question is then, have you drawn near to him? Are you distant from God? May I gently say, it was not God who moved. God's been pursuing you long before you or even you. God knows you and loves you. And in Christ, he has showed his ultimate love for you. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, page 1260 if you're following along. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For in him, in Christ now, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Son of God, one author said, became a man so that 
men would be enabled to become sons of God. He came to make peace, to reconcile you and I. Holidays can be a hard time for families. I, I know we talk about Merry Christmas, but, but if, we're, if we're real about it, there are some families who put the fun in dysfunction, right? If you've got a family like that, just raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You know why fam, uh, holidays are hard in dysfunction? They're hard because there's no peace. Because things have, are, are out of order. They're unreconciled. When you reconcile something, whether it's a bank statement or two friends who've had an estranged relationship, when you reconcile two things, you bring them back into agreement. Long ago, you used to have to reconcile your bank statement. I know we don't do that anymore, but you'd get a statement from the bank. The bank would say, you have this much money. And your, your account, your records would say, well, wait a second, I, I show I have way more money than that. And the process of reconciliation was bringing the two back into agreement. Maybe as you sit at the table this year, you'll have an opportunity to reconcile, to bring two things that were out of agreement back into agreement. In the eternal sense, this is what God did, according to Colossians chapter 1. He made peace. Not that there was no disagreement. He brought the two things that were out of agreement back into agreement. You know what the two things were? God and us. He brought the two back into agreement to reconcile them through the cross. That's how he did that. God was able to be perfectly just and perfectly merciful in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That is the beauty and the story of the incarnation. Not a cute little baby, but the story of God bringing two parties, two things back in together that were previously in disagreement. God came close so that you and I might draw close. He did all of that so that we might come back into the presence of God. And the only way to do that was through Jesus. He left heaven to come to earth for you. To reconcile the two that had previously been so distant and now again could be close. My question is, are you close to God? Are you seeking his face? Do you feel like you're way off with God? Maybe it's been, I I talked with a guy last week who said it's been 20 years since I've been to church. You know why that is? Because of this. Do you know what's going to bring that back into reconciliation? Jesus, the Christ. He's the only one. And he's the only hope for you and I. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't yielded your life to him, I'll encourage you not to focus on the baby Jesus, but to remember what the man Jesus said. To remember that he said to believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. May we be reconciled, not out of anything that we've done, but may we fully and completely trust in his mercy and his grace by simply doing what he said to do. To believe in him, to be baptized, to be buried, and to be reborn. To walk in newness of life. To walk a new life redeemed by the blood of Christ. Not by your good works, but by his. This morning, may we not forget that the gift is Jesus the Christ. And he did all of that for you and I. This morning, if you need to respond to the gospel, uh, no better time to do it than now. 
Or if you need to repent in a public way or if we can pray for you and encourage you, our shepherds are happy to do any of those things. If we can help you in any way, please come meet us down front and we'll help you as we can. Please come to now as together we stand and sing.